0: Welcome back, Maximizers, as we learn to maximize your influence, maximize your success, maximize your relationships, maximize your income, pretty much maximize every aspect of your life. This is Kurt Mortensen, podcast number 267. As we got some listener email, we've got a blunder and, of course, the geeky article. Hope things are going well. It's a holiday season in the United States, or at least getting close. I'm getting ready to do a seminar in Cairo that's taking my time, in Lisboa, that's in uh, Portugal, I guess that's how they say Lisbon, and getting ready for webinars next week, three days of webinars, that's four hours a day for three days, so that's my brain, but let's jump into some good content, help you persuade with power, let's start off with our friend the blunder, Homer, don't, don't, don't! This blunder would be Red Lobster. I don't know if you've ever eaten there. I mean, it's decent seafood sometimes. And I've got this relationship with them to where I don't think it's ever gone right. It's almost comedic as far as the wait time or the forgetting about us or not bringing the check or debris in the food. I mean, there's this relationship to where I'm just done. Not going back, not going to happen. Well, we've got these gift cards for 50 bucks to go to Red Lobster. My wife convinced me we go. And the reason I want to tell you this is that you have to realize a lot of times persuasion influences like a pendulum, where people are like, Yeah, I'm going to buy. I'm excited. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Then they swing back. Oh, I don't know. They said something strange. Are they lying to me? Then it might swing back. Oh, I could really use that. I could see where that benefit being like, Oh, wait a minute. I didn't believe that testimonial. It swings back and forth. So as a persuader, it's really important to understand that cycle and hit when the iron's hot, meaning when they're ready to go, you can't keep talking, you need to seal the deal and realize that human nature, we go back and forth So yeah, hey, this is great to like, whoa, wait a minute, what if I get ripped off? What if this doesn't work? What if? Remember that one time and there's a cycle there. And this is kind of what happened to me. So of course, I went there with, at a very negative cycle because of all the bad experiences there. And then, of course, we get there and it was late Saturday afternoon. The place was not very full and we had to wait 10 minutes to get a table. I'm not a big waiter and waiting 10 minutes when you don't need to wait 10 minutes, I'm getting more and more negative. But we sit down and the waiter was really nice and, uh, you know, I started getting a little positive, had some good recommendations, had a great appetizer, so I'm swinging to the other way. My food was okay. My wife really enjoyed her food, so that was still swinging in the positive. Then we asked for the check, and then it's going to the negative because it's taking a little too long. But then I asked, hey, can we get the vanilla bean cheesecake to go? It's always a good choice. And that took longer than we expected of going to the negative, going to the negative. But then they took care of things, gave us a little discount for the weight, so we're going to a little positive. They're trying to take care of their mistakes. So I'm okay with that. Then I look at the container of vanilla bean. I was actually hoping there was a fork so I could kind of have a few bites on the way home. There was no fork. Little negative. Not too big of a deal. But this thing was just thrown in there on its side. Couple of strawberries thrown on top. Bad delivery. Oh, swinging to the negative, swing to the negative. And then... An hour later, my stomach started rumbling, and it did not like the food that I ate. So I'm back to negative. (laughs) Okay, that's my experience. You may love Red Lobster, but understand the cycle here. There's a pendulum swinging back and forth, and you have to manage that within your prospect. Of course, no one there had ownership. No one there really cared about me or this cycle. Maybe they did. It just didn't come across. No one really had ownership in that type of situation except for the people that wanted tipped, and I did tip pretty well with the one waiter that we had. He was pretty good, but, you know, that's the cycle. They are the blunder, Red Lobster. You had another chance, and I doubt you'll ever see me again. The pendulum got too negative. Had a few shots here on the positive side, but it got way too negative. Then, of course, time for our geeky article of the week. And I'll have to admit this is less geeky than some of the others. This is out of Harvard Business Review, HBR. This was done about a year ago, about reasons why salespeople win or lose. And of course, we all persuade, influence, and sell for a living. And there's some interesting takeaways here. One of them is some customers want to be challenged. Their survey showed that 40% of participants prefer a salesperson who listens, understands, and then matches their solution to solve a specific problem. Another 30% prefer a salesperson who earns their trust by making them feel comfortable because they care about their long-term needs. And the other 30% want a salesperson who challenges their thoughts and perceptions and then prescribes a solution they may not have known about, learning something new. And so they looked at different departments and found that 20% of IT staffers want to be challenged, 43% of engineering does, and 50% of marketing. And IT prefer a salesperson who will listen and match the solution. Again, we've said this time and time again on the podcast, you've got to persuade them how they want to be persuaded and get a feel for where they want to go. They also found that 78% of the participants preferred a salesperson who would listen and solve their specific needs. Very important. We already know that. We just got to do it. So adapt. Some people want to be challenged. Some people just want you to listen, and you can tell by their questions, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, of being able to listen with your ears, your eyes, and your heart. Another one they found is that it's really a committee of one. Is There's always or usually one member of the evaluation committee who tries to influence and bully the decision their way. And they found this person is successful in getting the vendor they wanted 89% of the time. So even though there's a committee, understand is there really a committee, but you've got to find the person that dominates that committee, that can sway the committee. That's the person you need to be persuading. Then they talk about market leaders having an edge. In most industries, there's this single company that controls the market. They're the biggest, and people think they're the best. They have all that market share, and salespeople have to compete. They get all intimidated. But there's good news here. So they found that buyers aren't necessarily fixated on the market leader, and they're willing to look at second-tier competitors. In fact, they found that only 33% said they'd always go with the prestigious best-name brand. And 63% said they would select a fairly well-known brand with 85% functionality at 80% of the cost. (laughs) Some interesting numbers there. But it's okay. If you're not number one, don't fret, don't frown. Another one they mentioned is that some buyers are price immune. All right, price, price. We've spent countless podcasts on price. It's a topic. It's one of the big knee-jerk reactions. But they found that decision-makers have different propensities to buy, and the importance of price falls into three categories. There's price-conscious buyers, where price is the main factor. There's price-sensitive buyers, where price is secondary. I mean, it's got to fit their needs. And there's the third one, price immune, where price becomes an issue only when the solution they want is priced far more than others being considered. So big message here, just reiterating what we've talked about in the past. One size does not fit all. You need to see what type of person they want. They want a salesperson, they want a consultant, they want a listener. Don't fight on price. Find out where they're at. And if your company's not number one, do not worry about it. And of course, if you're going to committee, find the person that's really making the decision. Good information from the Harvard Business Review. That's our article of the day. I do appreciate your emails. Don't have a chance to get to all of those or list them. I will respond online, though, at Kurt, K U R T, at maximizeyourinfluence.com. In fact, com is where you go for your Persuasion IQ test, your free Maximum Influence book to get more information about advanced influence, to get access to Influence University, that's where you can get the archives to the podcast. So everything you need is at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. And also remember we're on iTunes and Spotify under the same handle at MaximizeYourInfluence. Time for listener email and going to be our topic for the day. Oh boy. This is Lincoln from Atlanta, or looks to the outskirts of Atlanta. Kurt, thanks for the podcast. Maximize influence. Each episode makes my week. Thanks, Lincoln. Appreciate it. Tell everyone else and also of course hit the like button. Here's his question. It says, Kurt, I've been getting to copywriting for the last year. It's been taking some time. I'm starting to get there. What are your tips on how to be more influential in copywriting? Whether it be writing an email or or copy for a website, or in a direct mail campaign. Copywriting fascinates me, I want to hear your insights. Whoa, uh, Lincoln, copywriting, that is a great topic. That's usually a two-day seminar and really getting better at copywriting, but let's talk about some tips and tricks and ways to do that. Everybody should learn how to copyright, whether you're writing an email that you need to influence, whether you are putting together a blog or a website. Being influential in your writing is a power tool so first of all what is copywriting that is basically any writing you do that's influential you're trying to persuade mentioned a variety of different ways usually on the internet direct mail copywriting can be used anywhere and it's a powerful life skill i mean top copywriters get millions of dollars for what they do on the front end and the back end for writing good copies whether it be for an infomercial or for a website number one thing, Lincoln, is it does take patience. I mean, copywriting takes time and patience to really learn how to do it the right way. And the challenge for most is that you want to be one and done. You write it and you're done. But no, you have to rewrite and rewrite and write. It might take 8, 10, 12 rewrites before you get to the point where you do it. Then you test it and you rewrite it again. And so it does take patience. But let's go through a few things to think about when you are doing your copy. First thing I think about is, of course, who are your demographics? You've got to speak their language. You've got to get into their shoes. You've got to talk to them, their mindset, their age, their income, where they're located, their strengths, their weaknesses, their pain. Get into the shoes. The more you can get to know them, that they feel like you're talking to them, that you understand them, the more you're going to resonate with them. And that's a key thing, whether you're speaking in public or influencing anybody, the whole before and after picture. You've got to say, yeah. I've been broke, I've been fat, I've been divorced, I've been fill in the blank. When they know you've been where they are now and you've conquered that and now you're skinny or you're wealthy or you're in a great relationship or you have perfectly obedient kids (laughs) or whatever it is, that's part of understanding your demographic. So that's key factor. Do your research. Try to really get to understand them. Interview them if you can. Find out all the information that you can about them as you get ready to start your copywriting, you have to ask, okay, what format are we looking for? And you want to be conversational. I could take a great persuasive presentation, maybe a platform presentation where I'm speaking to 500 people that's very persuasive. If I can convert that into copy that's very conversational, that is also good copywriting. They can be interchangeable. And you want to make sure you're using your embedded commands and your presuppositions for those that have studied NLP, neurolinguistic Programming, that you're talking in a way where it's just resonating, that you're being influential, and you're talking such a way where they can see themselves doing it, and it's believable. Then you gotta spend some time on this, and we talked about this a while back with the National Enquirer, as your headline. This is how you capture their attention and arouse curiosity, what's in it for them. You've got seconds, whether it be in an email or writing copy or on a website, you've got seconds to grab their attention and you've got to spend, what, maybe half your time, a third of your time? I mean, quite a bit of time on that headline because that gets them into the copy. Then you got to really dig into their emotions as you understand their demographics. I mean, you have to have some logic. I love what Dale Carnegie says. He says, when dealing with people, remember you're not dealing with creatures of logic, but with creatures of emotion, creatures bristling with prejudice and motivated by pride and vanity. Right? So true. So you have to really dig into that emotions and find out their fears, find out what inspires them, find out what's driving them, and trigger those emotions. You have to have a balance of the two. The key thing we understand here is you have to have both. Too many people go way too emotional or way too logical. You have to have a combination of both of those. Because remember, we react on emotions. We purchase on emotions, but when those emotions fade, we need to justify with logic. But the mistake I've seen, there's way too much logic. You need way more emotion because emotion creates movement. It creates energy, and that is what persuades. Because the logic is almost the conscious mind, and the emotions is the subconscious mind. I don't know if you've heard me say it before, that imagination always wins over reality. Emotions always win over logic. I'm talking to a child that's afraid of the dog. I can talk about facts and figures and tell them they shouldn't be scared. This is the nicest dog ever, but emotions will win. Monsters under the bed? (laughs) Emotions will win every time. Then as you start crafting your message, I would get into verbal packaging. That's one of the 12 laws of persuasion in maximum influence. In fact, if you really want to take a deep dive on that, that's in podcast 21. That's in the archives at influenceuniversity.com. That's part of the free membership site. That's also the site with advanced PhD program. If you really want to take your persuasion influence skills to the next level. Let me just put it to you this way. The words you use, as you craft these words, they either attract or repel. You know you don't say contract, you say agreement. You don't say sales, you say consultant. You don't say expensive, you say top of the line. You don't say cheapest, you say more economical. You can spend all day on that. We don't say if, we say when. We don't say could, we say can. I mean, the studies show this time and time again. They did a study with word choice where a third of the people saw a product that was half price, a third saw buy one, get one free, and the other one saw 50% off. Now, logically, we know that half price, buy one, get one free, and 50% off are pretty much the same, but buy one, get one free outpulled the others by 40%. So look at the word. You will learn is not as powerful as discover. I mean, great words like guarantee, benefit, results, proven, new, easy, Right? <laughs> You feel the difference between those words? Those are tension-grabbing words. You've got to be able to craft and really understand how those words fit together. So Lincoln, that's kind of a big picture on copywriting, just the foundational. There are some other critical factors we need to talk about. Let's talk about that next week. I want to give it some time so you can really understand it, But big picture, you can see the words that you're using. Every word you can use attracts or repel. you got to spend time Understanding the emotion versus the logic, the feature versus the benefit. Remember, the feature is the logical side and the benefit's the emotional side. And if you don't know the difference, just insert the word which means and that will give you the benefit. Spend time on your headline. Bounce it off other people because what you think is good and awesome and great might not pull. That's why you should always do an A-B test to see which one's pulling the best. Keep it conversational and do as much research as possible on your demographics. So that's a big picture view We'll fill in some more blanks next week on persuasive copywriting. Everyone needs to get better at this. Even if you're writing an email to one person, you're trying to influence, you have to realize that verbal packaging, the words you use, how you put those words together makes a big difference in your success and your ability to influence. You're crafting words. You're crafting emotions. You're bringing it all together. So, Lincoln, let's finish it up next week, give you a few more tidbits on helping you out, being more influential, whether you're writing an email, writing copy for 10 people, 1,000 people. The science is the same. Thanks for listening, everyone. Appreciate you being here. Appreciate your feedback, your kind words, your tips, your jokes. Get us Kurt, K-U-R-T, at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. We'll finish up copywriting next week. Master these skills. Become a better copywriter. Become more influential. And, of course, as always, go out and persuade with power.